Let me ask you a question this morning, which is kind of like what I like to do, isn't it? I'm not asking for volunteers, and actually if you volunteer, I'm going to tell you to stop, but think about in your head, what's the craziest story that somebody has ever told you that you didn't believe, but it was true? Like somebody told you something, you're like, whatever. See the Goonies? Anybody see Goonies? So like, so like Chunk said that Michael Jackson came to his house to use the bathroom, and then he changed his story later. He's like, okay, Michael Jackson didn't come to my house to use the bathroom. But his sister did. That's what he said. <clears throat> they didn't believe him because it wasn't true. But everybody, anybody ever told you a story that you're like, no way that's true, and it turns out that it was true? Um, I was a lying fool growing up. I lied all the time. Then it got to the point that my family didn't believe much of what I said because I was lying all the time. I was the little boy who cried wolf and alligator and whatever would keep me out of the bathtub. Um, that's a true story, by the way. I told my mom there was an alligator in the bathtub so I could not take a bath. I was in the bath about .4 seconds later. but Thankfully, by the grace of God, I did grow out of that. I feel like we, as a family... Um, value truth and speak it even when it's hard. And that's important, right? Amen. So when something hard to believe comes along, if somebody says it, you can trust them even if it seems implausible. Let me share a good one with you that happened to me and Amanda in our marriage. I think Hannah was about two or so. I was working at the movie theater. <clears throat> we lived in Beckley. And the alarm at the theater went off all the time. It just wasn't set up well. The wind would blow and shake the doors, and it would set off the alarm. Um, and since I was the manager, I was the first on the list for the EOC to call. So they were always calling us at 1 in the morning, 2 in the morning, 3 in the morning, saying that there was an alarm at Showplace Cinemas. So I would either have to go to the theater and meet the police and see if things were amiss, which they never were. Never one time did I show up, and it was a legitimate alarm. Or I could tell the operator to just disregard, which I often did, by the way. Well, late one Saturday night, early Sunday morning, it was about 2 o'clock or so, our phone rang. Well, I made up my mind in the fog of sleep that I wasn't going to answer it because I didn't want to. Okay. The next morning, uh, Amanda and I were going to church separately, which we did a lot at that time. I'd go get ready for music, and she'd come time for to start. And... Hannah was like two, so getting the kid ready and stuff like that, it was easier for her to come later. So before I left the house, I went into the kitchen where the corded phone was, okay? There was a cord that plugged into a wall. I don't know if y'all know anything about that. <laughs> and that corded phone had an answering machine on it. I don't know if you know what those are either, but anyway. So the light was blinking to show that we had a message, and I'm like, oh yeah, the alarm people called last night, didn't they? So to make the light stop blinking, I played the message. But instead of hearing about an alarm at Showplace Cinemas, a female voice said something along the lines of, Hey, Jason, just wanted to say it was great to see you last night, and I can't wait to see you again. Hmm. Well, um, seeing as how I had not been with nor seen a female besides my wife the night before, and I had no plans to see anyone anytime soon, being a happily married man and all, and I was and am, I was a little shocked. 
I had no idea who it was or what was going on. We didn't have caller ID. Again, this has been a while ago, y'all. I was shocked. I had no idea who it was or what was going on. I would think that they had a wrong number, but they said my name. And our answering machine said, hey, it's Jason, Amanda, and Hannah. Call us back or we'll call you back or whatever. <clears throat> could it just be somebody messing with me? Well, that, that could have been, but I didn't have any clue who that would be. Who would do something like that? So now I had a conundrum. Do I bring my wife into the kitchen and say, you need to hear this? I've got guys shaking their heads, yes. Smart man right there, by the way. Or should I just delete it and act like it never happened? Well, what if I deleted it and it didn't delete and she found it later? Then what, right? Maybe now, maybe later. So, yeah. so now what to do? So I decided I would leave it as played, but not delete it, and that I would share it with her later because I was getting ready to walk out the door and... So she came to church. She said, did you play the message? And I'm thinking, did you play the message? I said, yeah, I did. I'll, I'll, I want to play it for you when we get home. So we come home, and I played the message for him. But before I played it for her, I said, listen, I don't know who this is. I don't know what's going on. I'm, I'm, I'm clean. I'm innocent. I'm not touching anybody, talking to anybody, leading anybody on. She's looking at me like, what are you talking about? So I played the message. How do you think she felt? I don't know how she felt. I don't know how I felt. Great day. So we listened to the message. And I told her again, I had no reason to think anyone had any reason to leave such a message on our machine. She believed me. Mostly, I think. And it took quite a bit of time to make sure that we were clear on everything. But in the end, my implausible story was received as truth. That's tough. Because I had nothing. I mean, how do you prove that? I mean, I, just, I, I don't... How I proved was I just kept answering questions and answering questions and answering questions. By the way, if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember what lies you told. Amen. So just tell the truth. It's just a whole lot easier. Just That's free, right? That's not in here. That's, that's free this morning. So my hard-to-believe story was believed because my wife believed that I would tell her the truth, especially about something like that. It's pretty big. Well, what we're going to look at today is a story that is really, really hard to believe. And we're going to see the story of Mary and Joseph, and we're going to see it mostly from Joseph's perspective this morning. There's really not much about Mary. We're going to talk about the virgin birth, and there's really not much about Mary in this passage. So this is from Joseph's perspective. And imagine being Joseph and hearing the story that he had to be told when things come up about Mary. So, it's going to be hard to believe if you're him. It might be hard to believe if it's you. So let's evaluate this morning. If you would stand, we're going to read Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. And we stand because we do believe these are the very words of God. And we respect Him and out of reverence for Him and His Word, we stand. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When His mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. 
And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let me pray. What a wonderful, powerful, beautiful name it is. And Father God, we recognize this morning that You are wonderful and beautiful and powerful. Your Word is wonderful and beautiful and powerful. And You have done such a marvelous thing in this passage. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to believe, and lives to live out the truth of what we see here, God. By the power of Your Holy Spirit, save us. By the power of Your Holy Spirit, sanctify us. And by the power of Your Holy Spirit, be glorified in us this morning. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, I think it's very possible to read this and not be moved. I think it's very possible to read this and hear this, and you've heard it so many times that it doesn't just blow the hair off your head. Right, Janetta? Yeah. This is phenomenal. This is amazing. And God, and this is a gross understatement, but this is the only way I know how to say it, God's really smart. He really knows what He's doing. And we've talked for weeks now about God having a plan and we're seeing that plan come to fruition in the life of Jesus. But even before Jesus was born, we saw in His genealogy that God's plan was perfect. Overcoming sin, overcoming sinners, and bringing forth this perfect one. And then today, what we're looking at here is this plan is amazing. And we're going to look at it more today. I'm excited. So we'll start with verse 18 because that's the first one, right? Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So we saw the ancestry, the family tree of Jesus last week in verses 1 through 17. We saw in that mess of humanity that God was working in and through sinful people to carry out His plan to bring Jesus who is God in the flesh, who is God's Messiah, God's anointed one, into the world. We saw in it also that Jesus had a legal right to the throne of David because his mother's husband, Joseph, was of the line of David. But we also saw that there was a king named Jeconiah who was cursed in this ancestry and who God said that none of his offspring would sit on David's throne. Well, Joseph was one such offspring. So Jesus couldn't be Joseph's son and reign over the people of King David perpetually like God had promised David would happen. Legally, he had the blood of David in his veins, but there was that curse to deal with. 
And you throw in the fact that this coming Messiah, this coming King who would reign forever, had to be God. You throw that in there and things get complicated even more. You've got this curse to deal with and you've got the fact that this kid, this person, had to be God. That's quite a problem. Or else it would be if you weren't God. God didn't have a problem. I love Sometimes when people present the gospel, they say this, God loves us, but God had a problem because we're sinners. Ha! God ain't got no problems, y'all. His plan is perfect. His way is perfect. His power is perfect. So this would be a problem to find somebody who's of the line of David, who's not from Jeconiah's seed, and who is God. That would be a problem for anybody else. It's not a problem for God. See, God's got a plan. And it was from before the foundation of the world. And people, listen, cannot frustrate God's plan. We can be a part of it, but we cannot frustrate it. Prostitutes can't frustrate it. Adulterers can't frustrate it. Dictators can't frustrate it. So, the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, took place in this way, it says. Neat to note that the word birth here, now the birth, is the Greek word Genesis, which we know means beginning or origin. And that's the same word that was used for genealogy back in verse 1. So genealogy, birth, Genesis, all mean origin. So what was this way spoken of? Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Now, Jewish marriages had three steps most commonly. First, the bride was chosen by or for the groom. A lot of times families would arrange marriages. Or, I've mentioned this before, if you've seen Fiddler on the Roof, there was a matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. Sometimes there were matchmakers who would say, okay, we're going to match you and you up. And they would do it from childhood sometimes. And sometimes it would be later in life. So that was the first step. The match was made. A price would be paid by the groom's family for the bride, and then everyone would wait. After a while, some differing time periods depending on the situation and the ages of the people, the couple would be betrothed. This was a, usually a one-year period of commitment before the actual wedding ceremony and the following consummation after the ceremony. So it was a one-year period. You need to understand that this is more intense than our engagement. Okay, Engagements get broken all the time and people hawk the ring and it's no big deal, right? A betrothed couple, though, was basically married without being together. It took legal proceedings to end a betrothal, just like a divorce. They were essentially married, they just weren't sharing life together yet. And then after that year of betrothal, then the couple would have the ceremony to get married and then physically consummate the union and spend the rest of their lives together, physically together. This betrothal period is where we find Mary and Joseph here. They're pretty much married but have not been together sexually, nor, ha- nor had they had a wedding ceremony, or were they sharing life together. And it was during this time that people made sure that their mates would be faithful to them. Well, that complicates the next part of the sentence that says, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now think about that for a minute. What a story, right? 
And here in Matthew, we have no details, no explanation of how this happened. So I don't know how much we'll do this, but I, I want to supplement Matthew with Luke's account because it gives us more information, okay? Like I said, Matthew is a whole... This, this part's a whole lot from Joseph's perspective, even though Joseph was probably dead by the time it was written. So we don't see a lot about Mary. So I want to jump over into Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38, to give some meat to the skeleton of what we just read. Okay, So this is more from Mary's perspective. Nobody spends more time on the virgin birth than Dr. Luke. Luke's a physician, and he spends a lot of time explaining how the virgin birth happened, because he's got to be like, tell me, tell me. And they say that he probably talked to Mary physically. He probably interviewed her, tell me about this, what happened. So we get this account from Luke. In the sixth month, and that's talking about the sixth month, uh, well, well, it doesn't matter. The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. We met her back in Matthew, right? And he came to her, Gabriel did, and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. It does not say that she was perfect, by the way. She found grace with God, just like we did. Mary was a sinner, but she found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? Keep that in mind. Okay, we're going to get to that at the end. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Stop for a second. What makes this child holy is the Most High. What makes this child holy is God's participation. What makes this child holy is the Holy Spirit, not Mary. And it's important that you understand that. Mary was not holy when she was chosen by God. The Roman Catholic Church teaches the Immaculate Conception, which means that Mary was sinless when she was chosen to give birth and remained sinless the rest of her life. It's not true. It's not biblical. Okay? What made this child holy was the Holy Spirit, the Most High, overshadowing her. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, wow, that fills in some blanks, doesn't it, for Matthew? I've often wondered why Matthew doesn't include this. Well, it's probably because he didn't know it, Okay. Luke was written after Matthew, and it's pretty commonly held information that Luke talked to Mary. Matthew doesn't seem to have done so, so he wouldn't have had this info to share. R.C. Sproul says that this birth account is more from Joseph's perspective, which makes sense since the rest of the passage is about him. Anyway, we see in Luke that Mary didn't just come up with this story on her own. She was visited by the angel Gabriel who told her that do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive 
in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now this fits right in with what we saw in Jesus' genealogy and the prophecies we saw from Daniel and the covenant made with David that we've seen over these past weeks. But there's a problem. Humanly speaking. Mary's never been with a man. She's betrothed to Joseph and is purely waiting for them to be married. Turns out, that's not a problem. It's actually God's plan. Because this child could not be conceived in a natural way. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Now, real quick, We've talked about the references that we'll make to the Old Testament. Think about creation. And the earth was formless and void. And the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. And then God started speaking and creation happened. It's the same picture here. The womb of Mary being formless and void with nothing in it. And the Spirit of God hovered over that womb and spoke the Word and created life. It's the same picture. Therefore the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. And then verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. Now see that clearly and understand it. The child that Mary would have would be miraculously conceived. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore... The child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. Don't pass over that too quickly. Jesus was to be born of a woman who had never been with a man sexually. She was a virgin. This truth, which became a foundational doctrine of the Christian faith, you recited it this morning in the Creed, He was born of the Virgin Mary. This truth is an absolute non-negotiable in the matter of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now we'll look at application about the nuts and bolts of what that looks like in our faith walk. But for now, see clearly that Jesus, according to the text, according to the words spoken by God, Jesus was born of a woman named Mary who was a virgin. And we saw in our creed this morning, it was a major tenet of even the early Christian faith. And that's why it was such a shock for Joseph who knew her to be a faithful woman. He knew she was pure. It says that she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And this found refers to Joseph finding out. It isn't like she woke up one day and was like, oh, what's going on? Okay. Now imagine his shock. Imagine his reaction to her story. Now tell me again... whether she was starting to show or she came and told him directly after she received the message, we don't know. Either way, he found out she was pregnant. We know that he found out. So what would his reaction be? 119. Back in Matthew. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quickly. Now notice, it calls him her husband, even though they're not actually physically married yet. This betrothal is the same as marriage. They're just not living together yet. So this lovely betrothed couple has a problem. The woman is pregnant in her betrothal period and it's not by her husband. 
So again, she either tells him or he finds out one way or the other. We're not sure which. Either way, he comes to one conclusion. He's going to divorce her. Now we may be quick to jump on Joseph here, knowing what we know, but really think about it. What would you do? Your fiancé plus, we'll call that a fiancé plus, your fiancé plus is pregnant, and you know that you haven't been with her in any way that would lead to that state. And her story, if she told him, which I'm guessing she did, is that God did it. Joseph, an angel came and said that the Holy Spirit made a baby in me. Oh yeah, because that happens all the time, right? Actually, there were a lot of stories of God's impregnating women for ages. Zeus was very prolific in creating human children, according to Greek mythology. Hercules was... Some accounts have him God on God conception. Some accounts have him God on human conception. Actually, remember Alexander the Great, who was the leader of the Greek Empire? Some people said that he was conceived by Zeus, which Zeus didn't do it the immaculate way. Zeus did it the way we would do it, unfortunately. So there were stories told, myths, that gods had half-human children. And why do you think the devil would do that, by the way? To discredit it, maybe? But the Jews would have none of that. Right? Yahweh, the God of the Jews, the Creator of heaven and earth, would not be in the business of mingling with His female creation for a good time. Yahweh, God, existed in unapproachable light and was completely other. Any story directly tying him to a human pregnancy would be scoffed at, to say the least. Now, he had made barren women conceive, but that always happened through human relations as well as his blessing. Think Sarah and Abraham. Think Elizabeth, which we read in Luke there. So Mary tells Joseph that God got her pregnant. And he decides a quiet divorce. Now, Matthew clearly says that this makes Joseph not a monster, but a just man. You see, her story was unbelievable. And according to Deuteronomy 22, 23, and 24, if there is a betrothed virgin and a man meets her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of that city and you shall stone them to death with stones. The young woman, because she did not cry for help, though she was in the city, and the man, because he violated his neighbor's wife. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. That's the law, y'all. But that's not the only option. Joseph chose the other option which is put forth in Deuteronomy 24.1. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hands and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house. We won't go any further. He just said, here's a different option. You don't have to kill him. You can just write her a certificate of divorce and put her away, which that's the path that Joseph chose. And it says, this guy was a just man. He was a good man. He was an honorable man. So your fiancé plus says she's pregnant by God and your reaction is to take care of things quietly so she doesn't get put to shame. Let's think about this guy for a second. He's a sinner like us. He's got feet of clay just like us. But he's an honorable man. He's a God-fearing man. And he's respecting her in his decision-making. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Well, that's real nice, Joe, but that ain't God's plan. Okay? So verse 20. 
But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So Joseph is thinking it all over. And while he's thinking, while he's considering it, pondering it, an angel shows up in a dream to him. Now he wasn't drunk. He wasn't hallucinating. He had a dream where an angel spoke to him in a very tangible way. An angel actually spoke to him in his dream. Be careful of people who come to you and say an angel spoke to them in their dream. Be careful. Yeah, don't believe them. That's right. The Word of God says this happened for Joseph. God had a plan and God was going to make sure it was carried out. So he sends an angel to speak to Joseph in a dream. And the angel addressed him and said, Joseph, son of David. Now how's that address? Joseph surely knew he was in David's line. We see that in Luke when he goes to Nazareth, the town of David, to register in the census. But I guess he didn't just walk around calling himself Joseph, son of David. Because that wasn't his dad's name. And he wouldn't walk around, I'm David's ancestor. Probably just not what was going on. But the angel calls him that, addresses him that way, and it gives some weight to what's being said. This makes this dream conversation with an angel about royal business. And what does the unnamed angel say? Now in Luke, we had Gabriel coming to Mary. Here we have an unnamed angel. We don't know what the name of the angel was. The angel says, Do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Joseph had made up his mind to give Mary the easy way out of this disgraceful situation, saving her life at least, and maybe even her honor to a point. He was being nice. But the angel says to not be afraid about taking her as his wife. Now, again, you're Joseph. Now what? She is pregnant. And we have not been together. Maybe he had heard Mary's story that an angel brought her message to her about her pregnancy. And so now he's thinking in this dream, (laughs) just understand the layers of difficulty here. So maybe he's thinking, maybe there's something to this, but to marry her? Really? But there's more. For, the angel says, that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Well, that matches her story, right? The angel actually says that God the Holy Spirit impregnated his betrothed wife. Don't be afraid to marry her because God has conceived that which is in her womb. So God is doing what only He could do. And He's telling Joseph to get on board too. Joseph has a part to play. Verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So the angel then proceeds to say that not only is she pregnant by the Holy Spirit, but that the baby is a boy. Now it's easy to overlook that, but well before any type of sonography, the angel had a baby announcement slash gender reveal in one dream. Imagine that Facebook post. huh? Yes, she's pregnant. Yes, God did it. And yes, it's a boy. And here's his name. Fathers were responsible to name their children in Jewish culture. Well, this baby's father names him too. God says that this child that is his will be named Jesus. The Greek spelling of it is I-E-S-O-U-S. And it's from the Hebrew Yeshua, which we would say in English as Joshua. But in Greek they would have called him Yeshua. Yeshua. And the name means Yahweh, or God, saves. 
So God's son will be named Jesus, Jesus, and Joseph will have to make sure that that happens. Now Joseph, not being Jesus' father, would still have the legal responsibility to name Mary's son because he was marrying Mary. But he was to use the name that God had communicated to Joseph through the angel because, the angel says, this baby, this Jesus, will save his people from their sins. Now stop right there. We are saying that God has a plan. I've been saying that for weeks now. We're saying that God is going to establish an everlasting kingdom. He gave David that promise a thousand years before all this. And we're saying that the Jews are looking for God's Messiah to come and deliver them from foreign oppression and to set up His kingdom on earth that would be an everlasting kingdom. But be clear, the Jews were not looking for God to come. They were looking for His Messiah. They were looking for His Anointed One to come and save them. Here, the angel says that this divinely conceived Savior is not going to save from Roman oppression, but rather is going to save His people from their sins. Not from Caesar. Now that's a lot to take in, for sure. But His very name is about saving And what he is saving from is really quite a shock and will prove to be a stumbling block for Israel and the Jews. This perpetual king who will reign on David's throne will not look like, act like, or be like what they thought. He will be God. He will be Savior. And he will be as interested in the spiritual kingdom as much as the physical one. The physical one is coming. But that's not what he came to inaugurate. He came to inaugurate this spiritual kingdom where people are safe from their sins. So that's quite the angelic announcement. Now we move on from the inspired angel to the inspired apostle in verses 22 and 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So these two verses are Matthew speaking into the narrative. The the angel didn't say this. This is Matthew speaking after the angel explaining what's going on. And you'll see for the first time this phrase or thought that's used several times, at least 12 times explicitly, other times inferred, in Matthew's account. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Matthew is going to show how different parts and aspects of Jesus' life was literally fulfilling literally fulfilling prophecies that God had given in the Old Testament. Jesus was the fulfillment of God's plan. And Matthew is going to show that in direct quotes and through specific examples, and then he's going to explain how he is, how Jesus is, what was being foretold. So here, Matthew says that all that we have seen here in this account was a literal fulfillment of prophecy. So what's the prophecy? He quotes Isaiah 7.14. Now let's just settle in here for a minute. This is very important. If this is the fulfillment, what is the prophecy? Matthew says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Now look at Isaiah 7.14. Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now a couple of things to notice here. You've got to have background You've got to take the Bible in context. You can't just yank this verse out and say, okay, cool. So the background here is Isaiah, in Isaiah 7, was writing, giving an account of a time when King Ahaz of Judah was about to be attacked by Syria and Israel. 
Remember, the kingdom of Israel had split into two kingdoms, Israel in the north and Judah in the south. So this is King Ahaz in Judah in the south, who's about to be invaded by Syria and Israel coming down on him. Isaiah brings Ahaz news that Judah will be delivered and tells Ahaz to ask for a sign to verify this news. Ahaz is not a very nice person, really. And he very piously says, I will not ask God for a sign. So God says, fine, I'll give you a sign anyway. That's Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Okay? <clears throat> and the sign that He gives is, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call His name Emmanuel. Now the question is, was God saying this to Ahaz, and did God say it so that Ahaz would know that Judah would be delivered from Israel and Syria? And if so, how could Jesus' birth be the fulfillment of that? Or was it? What's going on here? We've said before that prophecy so often has an immediate, a partial future, and a final future fulfillment. Now if you read the rest of Isaiah 7 after this, there's more to this prophecy that says that Judah's deliverance will happen before the promised child knows how to choose between right and wrong. So that immediate fulfillment had to do with Judah's deliverance in a quick time frame. We don't know of any partial future fulfillment of this prophecy, but Jesus does surely fit the final complete fulfillment by being born of a virgin and being literally Emmanuel, God with us. His given name was Jesus, and we surely also call His name Emmanuel, knowing that He is God with us. We'll get to the... But, but what about this verse in the immediate context at the end? Okay, stay with me. But keep that in mind. There was an immediate fulfillment... Did a virgin give birth to a child in the time of Isaiah? We'll get to that. Okay, stay with me. But right now, let's finish this text, last two verses. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So, Joseph, how'd you sleep last night? Well, I had quite the dream. Let me tell you about it. The text says that when he woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. Which means what? Which means that he took his wife like he was told to do. He didn't divorce or put Mary away quietly, but instead he took her as his wife. And not only that, he did not know her, in this context, that means sexually, until she had given birth to a son. So he took her as his wife, and they did not consummate the marriage physically until after she had the baby that God had placed in her through supernatural conception. So he woke up, he believed, he acted, he waited... And he also carried the message through to completion, naming the child what the angel had told him to name it. This guy Joseph was something else. He was faithful and God used him. God used him to help bring his son into the world in a miraculous way. Hard to believe, isn't it? Hopefully we do believe it and hopefully we can apply what we've seen, which is what we will do now. Application. And it's three eyes this morning. I've got three eyes. One, two. Impossible, impractical, Emmanuel. Okay? So when we're looking to apply this text, because we're going, what? what? How do you apply this? People making up stories, people having dreams, angels, prophecies. How do you apply this? First, we look at impossible. And that means that we place our faith in the virgin birth. The doctrine of the virgin birth is a hotly debated, often disregarded doctrine. People say it's not important. It doesn't matter. The question is, the whole point of this text is, was Jesus born of a virgin? 
And when you're trying to teach and preach, you're looking for the point of the text. The point of the text from today is that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. A woman who had never been with a man sexually, whom it would be impossible to have a child because she'd never had physical contact with a man that way. That's the point of this text. So what I'm calling you to this morning is to place your faith in the impossible. This is not an unimportant doctrine. Was Jesus born of a virgin? The answer clearly from our text today is yes. But there are those who say no. People who call themselves believers that say, no, Jesus wasn't born. That's a story. That's an allegory. That's a myth. They say that Matthew is misrepresenting Isaiah's prophecy. You see, Isaiah's text says it's a young maiden, not a virgin, who would give birth as a sign of Judah's deliverance. That's what they say. And you know what? They're right. That is what Isaiah says. The Hebrew word for virgin that we, seen, that we saw in Isaiah 7.14 is Alma, A-L-M-A. And it means young woman. Now it can refer to a virgin. A virgin can be a young woman. And a young woman can be a virgin. Sort of like Levi and priest. Yeah, Levi and priest. It's kind of the same thing. So, but the word literally means young woman. But... And here's the important thing from today. Matthew, under the inspiration of the same Holy Spirit who inspired Isaiah, uses the Greek word parthenos, which means virgin. So is Matthew wrong? If Matthew's wrong, the Holy Spirit is wrong. So is the Holy Spirit wrong? Listen, we saw clearly Mary had not known a man physically, sexually. And the conception of Jesus in a virgin's womb is a miracle that only God could bring about. Okay, maybe you agree with that, but what if you don't? Can you be saved without believing in the virgin birth? We asked to ask you this question Wednesday. And the answer is absolutely. You can be saved without knowing or understanding the virgin birth. I was five years old when I was born again. I knew nothing of a virgin birth. I knew we sang some songs around Christmas that talked about a virgin. I didn't know what that meant. Was I born again at five? Absolutely. God saved me at five years old. But now let me ask you this. Can you stay uncommitted on the issue if you are a believer and you're confronted with the biblical text? And the answer is absolutely not. Amen. You have to say that Matthew was wrong to say that the virgin birth is not true. God says it as plainly as He can here in Matthew 1. For you to refute it or disbelieve it is to say that God's Word is not true, thus meaning that God isn't true. And that's what the liberal theologians are doing day by day by day by day. Did God really say? Which was exactly what Satan did in the garden. Because if God isn't true, y'all, we are lost and without hope. A similar thing was going on in New Testament times regarding the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, listen to this. Now if Christ is being preached as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? Now this was going on in the church. They're saying there's no resurrection. That's just a story. 
But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is futile and your faith is empty. Also, we are found to be false witnesses about God because we have testified against God that He raised Christ from the dead when in reality He did not raise Him, if indeed the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is useless. You are still in your sins. Furthermore, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. For if only in this life we have hope in Christ, we should be pitied more than anyone. The same could be said of the virgin birth. If there's no virgin birth, then not even Jesus was born of a virgin. And if Jesus wasn't born of a virgin, you have no hope because He had to be God in the flesh to offer Himself to you. We'll get more to that later. And if Jesus wasn't God, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And here's the ultimate end-all, be-all of this conversation about the virgin birth. If you can pick and choose what's true in the Bible, your faith is man-centered and not God-centered, and you have put yourself in radical competition with God's Son for your salvation. And that is an impossible competition. You cannot save yourself. But God can. He is the God of the impossible and your faith is to be in Him. Looking at the truth and historicity of the virgin birth reminds us of God's ability to do what we can't. And that's vital. But that's not all. Impossible, impractical. In impossible, we talked about faith in the virgin birth. In impractical, we talk about faith in God's hard words. I think it's kind of easy to trust God for impossible things. Right? I mean, this is God and the impossible. It's kind of easy to say, yeah, God can make a virgin have a child. I think we can do that. But what about when things are hard for us? Can God work when things are hard in our lives? And can I obey Him when it's not practical or doesn't make sense for me? For example, look at Joseph. Hey, Joe... Don't be afraid to marry this lady who said God got her pregnant. And don't touch her until she's, after she's had the baby. And the baby won't be yours, but you need to raise him and you need to name him, take care of him. How's that for impractical? Could you do it? Will your faith be operative when hard words like that come? When the Word says to mourn, when the Word says to be persecuted, when the Word says to bless those who persecute you, when the Word says to turn the other cheek to those who strike one cheek, when the Word says give to those who ask of you, when the Word says to love your neighbor, when the Word says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, can you do that? Will you do that? Will your faith be active then? Your obedience to God's Word will be costly. Period. Your walk with God, your walk with God will not be without trials and hardships. False gospels promise solutions to all your problems. The biblical gospel offers grace for your time of need. Hebrews 4, 14-16 Therefore, since we have a great high priest who was passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest incapable of sympathizing with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are yet without sin. Therefore, 
Let us confidently approach the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace in our second car and our fourth airplane. No. Therefore, let us confidently approach the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace whenever we need help. In our time of need. Jesus suffered so He could understand our sufferings. And since He did, as a human and as God, we can draw near to God's throne to get the grace that helps us when we are in need. If you need grace, if you are facing hardship, don't jump ship when things get hard. Engage the Word. Plead for grace and draw near to God in those times. Draw near to the One who understands fully what you're going through. He was tempted in every way that we were, yet without sin. Anybody carried a cross recently? He has. And He knows how to give you the grace that you need, especially when it's hard. Don't jump ship. Engage the Word. Plead for grace and draw near to God in those times. Let those hardships and struggles push you toward, not away from God. And obey Him when it seems impractical. Why would we do such a thing? Impossible, impractical, and because of Him, Emmanuel. We talked about faith in the virgin birth. We talked about faith in God's hard words, finally Emmanuel. Faith that Jesus saves. All of this that we've talked about revolves around the saving work of Jesus who is going to save His people from their sins. The saving work of the Messiah. We look to the virgin birth to learn about Him. And we follow in the hard times because we trust Him and want His glory above our own comfort. When we see the virgin birth, we see God making a way for Jesus to be truly God and truly human. He was truly God because the Holy Spirit was the one who overshadowed Mary and whose power manifested itself to see to it that Jesus came to life in the womb of a fully human Mary. And since Jesus was born as a human in a human body that formed over a gestational period of nine months like the rest of us, He was also truly human. The truth of both divine and human natures is necessary if Jesus is to be our substitute and our Savior. Listen to this. We're almost done. Galatians 4, 4-7. through But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Tuck that away. We're coming back to that. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You have no idea how good a news this is. I don't either. But I want to try to grasp it this morning. Jesus was born of a woman under the law so He could redeem us who are human and who are condemned by the law. And now that we are redeemed, we have His Spirit in us. Now do you see the dichotomy of God and human in us? Now we are human and divine. Jesus was truly human and truly God so that we could be truly human and truly divine. We're not God, but we have the divine nature in us. He became like us so that we could become like Him. 
And now that we have the life of God in us, the Holy Spirit of God in us, now that we have that, Jesus truly is Emmanuel. God with us. That's what He came to do. And unless He comes and shares life with you, you will in no way or means be saved. Unless He becomes God with you, Emmanuel, you will never see heaven. Nor will you follow Him when things get harder and practical. It is His divine nature in us that empowers us to live like and for Him. Without that divine nature, we are but flesh and we are fit for destruction. Last verse is 1 Peter 1, 22-25. You have purified your souls by obeying the truth in order to show sincere mutual love. So love one another earnestly from a pure heart. That's impractical, by the way. You have been born anew, not from perishable, but from imperishable seed through the living and enduring Word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of the grass. And grass withers and the flower falls off but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the good news, different version here, and this is the good news that was preached to you. Yes, this is the word. This is the good news that was preached to you. Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. Jesus Christ was truly human and truly God. Jesus Christ now empowers us to live by and for Him even when it doesn't make sense or is hard to believe. Jesus is the Messiah sent by God to be Emmanuel, which is God with us. Now, if you understand that, if you fully comprehend what's being said here, and you fully receive this good news, this word that was proclaimed to you through the word of God, that's really hard to believe. God became a man through a miraculous birth. One man with feet of clay who was a sinner obeyed God and did impractical things to show his faith. I'm calling you this morning to do something very impractical. Put your faith in the God of the impossible. Put your faith in the God who will be with you if you will trust Him and put your faith in Him. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're a believer and you're kind of sitting on the fence on the virgin birth. Get off the fence. The Bible says Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're like, this is crazy talk. And you're right! The wisdom of God is foolishness to men. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the strong. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you don't know this Jesus we're talking about. What you need to know is that you are a sinner. You're like, I am not. Yes, you are. And all of us are. And you need a Savior. And we know the one who came to be your Savior. He was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life. He went to a cross to bear the penalty for the sins of His people on His own body so that God could punish my sins in the life and in the body of Jesus so that they wouldn't be held against me. He carried 
those sins to the grave in His dead body. On the third day, He was resurrected. That's crazy. He showed Himself alive to over 500 people over a period of 40 days and then He ascended into heaven. And in a physical body today, Jesus Christ sits on the throne of the universe. And one day, He's coming back. And He is going to be your judge And you will be judged according to have you placed your faith in Him for your salvation to be the Savior that you need from your sins. Or are you trying to save yourself or do you just not care at all? All flesh is like grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the Word of the Lord remains forever. And this Word is the good news that was preached to you. Will you believe it? Will you trust Him and not yourself? Let's pray. God, You have done great things and we are glad. Thank You for Your perfect plan, Your amazing, unfathomable plan. Thank You for the virgin birth. Thank You for the Savior who was conceived in that womb. Thank You for the cross He died on where my sins were taken away from me. Now, God, give me the faith to do impractical things as I trust You to do impossible things through me. And my faith is not in myself. My faith is in You. God with me, Emmanuel. May it be so in our lives. And even so, come, Lord Jesus. We ask in Your name. Amen. Just stand and receive a benediction. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You're just may stay and eat with us if you can though.